Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. And, uh, and as I was at the gym, as with all of us, I expected to see results for my efforts, for my energy. And, and to be honest, I expected to see them much quicker. Turns out, it takes a while. It's a lot of effort, a lot of energy. Uh, so I expected to see these results much quicker. And I feel like it's a great illustration for our lives and how we live our lives. Uh, we expect to see change. We expect to see difference as we go along in our Christian walk, in our journey with God, in, our, in the ministries that we're involved with, in our church. You know, we put in time, we put in effort, we put in energy, and we expect to see stuff, don't we? We expect to see change. And if we don't see change, you know, it kind of feels weird. It kind of feels like we're not in the right place. We're not where we should be. Now, we hear, we, we're aware of great testimonies, great stories of how God has moved in people's lives and how people have had a real encounter with God, a life-transforming, real experience uh, of God in, in Alive Newark, in Alive as, uh, across the church and, and internationally across the church as well. And we, uh, we love these stories, we love these testimonies, and, uh, and we celebrate with people and we'll tell anyone who will listen. And we love it so much. But what happens, church, what happens when we don't see the change? What happens when we don't see the breakthrough that we're expecting or when we don't, where we're not where we think we should be? What do we do then? I, uh, you know, I actually really don't think it takes much faith to believe in God. I, that's my, my opinion. I don't think it takes that much faith. Um, I actually think if you weighed up the arguments, objectively speaking, um, it actually takes more faith to not believe in God than it does to believe in God. That's just my opinion. Um, but, but I believe that the true faith comes not before we take our first step in our relationship with God. I, I actually think that's pretty easy. But the faith comes along the way when we're walking our journey and we think it's all going to be sunshine and roses and it's going to be amazing and it's just not. Life is harder now sometimes than it was before. And we think it's going to be all great and we think it's going to be, you know, lollipops and what have you. And, uh, and, it, and it just isn't. And, uh, and so that's where... Uh, sometimes it is, you know, it's not all bad. <laughs> Don't want to discourage you. Uh, but sometimes it, it feels like we're not where we should be. Yeah, we're not seeing the breakthrough that we should be seeing. And that's why the Bible calls it a, uh, just a sign, and that's why the Bible calls it a, um, a, narrow, a small gate. Yeah, the, the gate to heaven is a small gate. The road there is a narrow road. And a narrow road is easy to fall off because that's where the faith comes in staying on the road, especially in our culture that we have of instant gratification. You notice that? Everything that we have, everything that we do is instant. We can communicate with people uh, around the world instantly, and it's amazing, and, uh, and it really helps us loads. And, uh, and we can order stuff offline, off Amazon or what have you, and uh, get it next day. I don't know about you, but if I'm scrolling through Amazon and I'm looking for a product, if it doesn't have the Prime logo, I'm not interested. I would rather go without if I know that it's not, if I don't know that it's not coming tomorrow, rather not bother. 
We can order food from the frozen food section in Asda, can't we? Wing it in the microwave, wait for the ding, and then we're eating. Whereas back in the day, you'd have to milk a cow and crush some corn just to have a bowl of cereal. It's not the world that we live in anymore. We live in the instant. We live in the now. And it's, uh, and it's great. It's great. But what I've noticed is that God doesn't work in instant gratification. God isn't interested as much in the quick win. What I've noticed is that God is much more interested in the journey and the process that we go along the way and what we learn in the meantime. The Bible says... Oh dear. The Bible says an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. And, uh, you know, if we gain something quickly, that's great. Yeah? If, if someone right now today were to buy me a car... <clears throat> BMW M4? No? Okay. Well, if someone were to buy me a car, that'd be great, and I'd enjoy the car. It'd be amazing. But if I have to work nine to five every day doing the daily grind, you know, and have to earn enough money to buy the car, firstly, how much more valuable is that car to me at the end? Because I actually know its value, because I've put in the blood, sweat, and tears to get there. But also, what have I learned along the way in doing that while I was at work, while I was grafting, while I was, you know, uh, getting involved? What have I learned? It's far more valuable at that point but this concept of moving forwards and not quite being where we think we should be hearing a promise from God but not quite being there yet there's a story that I want to tell you it's in uh, it's in 1 Samuel and I actually mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago when uh, when I preached then but I want to expand is that okay is that good for everybody yeah I can't hear everybody though Oh man, it's the heat. It's the heat. I know, don't worry. All right. 1 Samuel 16. I know, I told you we were in Acts. Oh, we're in both. Come on. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 6 to 13. This is the time where David is going to be anointed king of Israel. See, what's happened is uh, Samuel has gone out uh, under the command of God, and God said, Samuel, appoint the next king. Samuel's like, okay, I'll go and appoint the next king. And, uh, and he goes to this house where Jesse lives. Jesse has eight sons. And, uh, and God's told him that one of these sons is going to be the next king of Israel. Here's where we pick it up. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, one of the sons, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord doesn't look at the outward appearance. So for those of us that go to the gym, just saying, the Lord's not interested. Uh, <coughs> Uh, Samuel then went through uh, eight, uh, seven of the, uh, of the sons and uh, God saying to Samuel all the time, no, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. And, uh, and then Samuel, um, uh, Samuel then asked Jesse, Jesse, is there anyone else? Because God says it's none of these. Jesse says, there is still the youngest, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health. And had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So there's this situation where David is, uh, is, 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 is going to be king. It's what he's told. He's had this identity spoken over him, this promise made. And, uh, and then do you know what happens when, um, uh, after that, when, when, Samuel, uh, when Samuel anoints David as the next king? Do you know what happens? Nothing happens. 
The Spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon, upon David. That's something. Absolutely. Um, but nothing changes. In 1 Samuel 16 from 19, we read this. So what's happened in the meantime in between these two verses is basically Sam, uh, Saul's having a bad time. Um, and he wants someone to play the harp for him to make him feel better. And he hears that David plays the harp. So Saul says, uh, then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them, to, uh, sent them with his son David to Saul. And David came, in, uh, came to Saul and entered into his service. David is anointed king of Israel and then he ends up back in the field with the sheep. What? If that were me, I'd be, I'd be saying to God, God, I am confused at this point, okay, because you've just told me through your prophet Samuel, nice chap, that I'm going to be king of Israel, and yet I now find myself in the field with the sheep. That's where I was before. Nothing's changed. What? That's how I'd react. I'm not sure that's how David reacted. Um, but you see, David had more to learn. David had more to learn. He had a season of preparation ahead of him. See, David had to learn to look after the sheep so that David could learn to look after the people. David had to learn how to protect the sheep from lions and bears so he knew the value of protecting people and he knew the value of protecting the people that he was going to be leading. See, uh, David had a season of preparation and learning for what God had promised. And nothing was taken away from the promise of God that still stands. But it wasn't instant. It didn't happen instantly. A promise was made, a season of preparation, and then later we see David gets to wear the crown. And maybe this is something you can relate to in your own lives. Maybe you're in a situation where you've been made a promise by God. You know a promise is on your life, but you're not seeing it yet. Maybe uh, you're in a season of preparation like David was. Maybe you're not quite where you think you should be. Maybe you're waiting for a promise, but actually, maybe you're not actually ready to receive it yet. I, uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've really had a, um, a, a sense from God, a feeling that God is saying something to this church, to this location of a life. And, uh, and that's this. Pretty simple. Keep going. You're doing great. Just keep going. Our mission as a group of, uh, as a group, as a church, as a body of Christ is to bring about a culture of the kingdom of God. First in our own lives and then take that out into the streets of Newark. That's our mission as a church to prepare and to grow and to learn and to trust uh, that what God has promised is going to come to pass. To trust that the breakthrough is coming because he's already won. Amen. Has he already won? Has he already defeated the grave church? Has he already won? I know it's warm. That's your excuse this week. When it comes to October, there's no excuse at that point, okay? Just let you know. <clears throat> so what can we learn from David? See, I feel like, uh, like there's, there's a lot that we can learn from David in this season of preparation where God has, set us, uh, has, has told us a promise. 
and, uh, and yet we are still waiting to receive the promise. David's job was to be king of Israel, yeah? So he was, his job was to, to lead Israel and to bring about a culture of the kingdom of God in Israel. Our, our uh, mission as a group is to bring about the kingdom culture of God in Newark. So we have actually a lot in common here with David. So we're going to see how David, who was in a constant state of growth, a constant state of learning, both before he became king and even while he was king as well, always learning, always growing, always preparing for the next thing, uh, we are going to, to, to look at how that occurred in David's life. David was called a man after God's own heart. How good would it be if we were called uh, a, a man or a woman after God's own heart? Yeah, I won't ask you to respond too much. I know it's hard. <laughs> okay. To bring about a kingdom culture. A kingdom, the kingdom of God is as complex as it is simple. Okay? See, the kingdom of God is in us. It's in, our, it's in our minds. It's in our hearts. It is in us through the Holy Spirit. But it, it is also us. It is in us and it is us. That's the kingdom of God. And it's our job, it's our mission to, to bring about that culture. So how? How do we do that? Five steps. Practical foundations, practical building blocks that we can apply to our lives and our church uh, in, in a season of preparation, which I believe, as I said, we're always in to wait for what God has for us. Is that good? So to do that, and to, do, to, to look at the, uh, the, the, the kingdom of, uh, of God, we're going to look in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts, just for a bit of context, uh, is, a, uh, is a book that was written uh, about the time after uh, Jesus had, uh, had, been, had died on the cross, he'd been resurrected, and he'd uh, ascended to be uh, with uh, the Father in heaven. We've had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and now we see the church, uh, the early church, in a state of, of waiting, waiting. And so we're going to see how the church prepared, how the church acted. That's why it's called the book of Acts, the Acts of the early church. And there's a lot of parallels with David's life, so we're going to kind of be in both, okay? Is that good? Going to be in both, some of David, some of Acts, two together. Boom. It's getting warm. It's getting warm. It's fine. It's fine. So let's, uh, let's go to Acts 2, 41 to 47. I'll, uh, I'll read it for you if you don't have your Bible. It's also coming up on the screen. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to, the, uh, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God pardon me, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see a season of waiting. The church is about to explode on a global, monumental level. It's an exciting time. And the church are waiting. They're preparing what they're doing, how they're acting. That's what we're going to look at. Okay, so I have for you today five principles of kingdom culture. Preparing for the promise. We've got building blocks as well. How's that? Is that good? Try like that? And a dodgy font that looks like it's on the chalkboard. Come on. Come on, church. 
<clears throat> so let's, uh, let's go from the beginning of, uh, of that section in Acts. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The steps that, I, that, that, that we have, uh, that we're looking at today, the five principles, are, uh, they get harder as they go along. And yet, you'd be surprised how uh, easy it is to trip up on step one. Step one is accept identity. There you go. Accept identity. See, when we accept Jesus as Lord of our lives, that bit is difficult enough for some people, yeah? It's difficult for some people to accept that uh, Jesus is their saviour. That bit's hard enough. But who that then says we are, well, that's even harder. That's even harder see we pick up our identity do we not by by what we see around us by the world around us and sometimes it's it's obvious and sometimes it's less obvious uh you know but 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 we pick it up don't we if you look like this then you're ugly or if you don't if 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 if, if you if, if you don't go to this university then you're not very clever or you know if you've done these things then you're a horrible person if you've had these thoughts then you're an evil person these things are around us all the time and uh, we can pick up this identity and start to accept what the world says about us sometimes it's less obvious sometimes it's by comparison this way is even more dangerous where we see a picture of the idealistic thing okay the idealistic family this is what a perfect family looks like and then we compare it to our own and we look and we say well hold on my family doesn't look like that so my family is rubbish or or, or we get shown a picture of beauty this is beauty and then we look at ourselves and we compare and we say, well, I don't look like that, so I'm ugly. Well, this is what a successful person looks like. Well, I, I don't look like that, so I'm, I'm unsuccessful. And this identity by comparison is, uh, is even more dangerous. But I, uh, I want to tell you what the Bible says. Is that okay? I'm going to do it anyway. <clears throat> Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's in John 1, 12. Anyone who accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior is, uh, is, is, a, is a son or a daughter of the Most High. The Most High. There is no one higher than God. Romans eight seventeen then says... If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. God speaks a new identity over us. We no longer compare ourselves to the hollow and the shallow measuring stick that the world sets us. We compare ourselves to God. And the interesting thing about that is we all fall short of that. But by grace, by grace, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we gain entrance to the kingdom. But here's where the tricky bit comes in. See, I believe that, uh, that this is a constant process. This is a constant reminder, something that we have to constantly revisit because we can fall back into our old ways, can't we? The, 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 uh, the voice of society and the identity it bestows upon us is a loud voice. You know, you fit this mold, so you're that. You've done these things, so you're the other. It's loud. It's loud. And sometimes we can put that voice above God's voice and so it's something that we have to constantly revisit because if not we start acting out of line with our identity and we take on pride we take on jealousy and we take on uh, you know the identity I wonder if anyone in here has ever um, ever acts in a way that isn't in line with their identity yeah I know I do my, my hands are usually this is at home 
Okay, so at home I have uh, two identities, mainly. Uh, I am an adult and I am a husband. This is my, kind of my thing in the home. Uh, it's what I do. And, uh, and, but sometimes, often, in fact, not often. Don't speak down on yourself, Dom. Sometimes uh, I don't act like either very well. Okay? So if me and Sam have had a small argument, nothing too major, nothing too major, just about, you know, what we're going to watch on Netflix or something. If we've had a small argument, um, then, then what, what can happen is I can forget my identity, okay? I can forget who I am, and I can, uh, I can start to act in a different way, okay? So, for example, I might leave my stuff on the kitchen table, in a way, okay? Because that'll, uh, that, that'll show her, won't it? There. <laughs> And, uh, and I, might, I might not take the bins out for a few days. Because uh, then she'll know. Then she'll know who's annoyed and who's in charge. It's not me. <laughs> uh, but I uh, start to act in this childish way, even though, um, even though I am an adult. And then so what, it, what will happen is uh, Sam will have to, very gently and in a loving way, just say to me, Dom, don't forget, you're an adult in this house. And you have a duty and a responsibility to do things to contribute to this house. And then in an instant, obviously, uh, I will be reminded of my identity and I will begin to act like it again. But it's a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder. I have to remember who I am. And I feel like this is something that we need to do with our identity in, in God's kingdom, our identity through Jesus. And if that's, um, if that's you here today... In, uh, in your identity with Jesus, then I'm here to remind you that you are a child of God. You are a new creation. You are saved by grace. Are you acting like it? Are you acting like it? Constant reminder. For David, uh, David totally ignored the identity the world had bestowed upon him. The world told him that he wasn't worthy to be king. If you recall, they didn't even ask him to come to the, to the room to be picked from as a king. Didn't even ask him. They'd already spoken over him. God said differently. God said, no, this is my king. This is my king of Israel. And then David went on to be a great king of Israel. Now, David, just like us, often forgot who he was, often forgot his identity and made some mistakes and he needed a constant reminder from God. But part of our growth and part of our preparation for what God has for us is knowing who we are, is understanding who God says we are. I'm going to try and move a bit quicker. Mm, mm. Okay, number two, let's move on. They devoted themselves to the apostles', the apostles teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. The second uh, principle in our ABCs of kingdom culture is our balanced devotion. The importance of devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to prayer. But notice the wording here, though. I think this is really key. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Each one devoted themselves. Now, <clears throat> the thing with devotion is you can't, you can't devote somebody to something on behalf of somebody else. You know? So I can't devote Bryn to the apostles' teaching. That's not possible. Bryn has to devote himself to the apostles' teaching. Fortunately, he does. It's a Bible college. Uh, but you can't devote me to a life of prayer. That has to be something that I do. It's our responsibility to devote ourselves. 
And as a church, obviously, we put structures and we put programs in to try and help with this devotion. That's why we do connect groups. That's why we, 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 we've, we run a service on a Sunday to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We preach a message from this book every single week. There will never, ever be a message that comes off this platform that is not based on this book. It will not happen. The apostles' teaching, the word of God, is the highest authority that we have, and we will not preach from anything else. Because we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. But devotion, I believe, is, based, is more than just listening to a sermon on a Sunday. That's important. Absolutely, it is. But devotion speaks of love, and it speaks of loyalty, and it speaks of enthusiasm. Are we, are we, do, do we love the word of God? Do we love the apostles' teaching? Are we enthusiastic about prayer? Are we truly devoting ourselves to these things? For David, a life of devotion. Oh, David's whole life was a life of devotion. You should read the life of David. It spans several books. Two? Three? Two books. Three. A number of books in the Old Testament. Uh, and I'd encourage you to read it. But uh, David was a man who was truly devoted fully to God. Often, uh, often in our devotion time, as we call it, uh, we refer to the Psalms, don't we? We go and look at the Psalms and we go and, uh, we go and read about the times that people have experienced often harsh times and, uh, and, uh, you know, um, and they're going through things in their life, but they look to God. And, uh, and David wrote 73 of those 150 Psalms. David was devoted to a life after God. And these psalms were originally supposed to be sung. They were hymns. And uh, that was David's way of devoting himself. I'll read one uh, part of one. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. David was a man who was devoted to prayer, to fellowship, to God. Wow. And if we're serious... If we're serious, church, about bringing a kingdom culture, about stepping into what God has for us, then we better base it on something significant, something unchanging. Not some magazine or some book or TV show or whatever, but the full and complete inerrant word of God. Is that okay? Excellent news. Moving on very quickly. <clears throat> they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So this speaks of generosity, doesn't it? The early church were generous people. And, uh, and generosity is true, absolutely. And, uh, and we should be generous as, uh, as, as a body of believers. And there are several ways that we can be generous. The most obvious one that the people's minds jump to immediately is finances. We can be generous with our finances. This verse speaks of the, uh, of the church selling their stuff to get cash to then give to people. Now, that isn't something that we do very often these days, but, you know, we give to charities, don't we, to, to help people. And we give to the church so the church can help people in, in various different ways to be generous with our finances. And we can be generous with our, with our talents, with our skills as well, can't we? So we have many people who serve here on a Sunday using their skills to, uh, to serve others. You know, the worship team, very skilled uh, group of people, and they serve you know, we've got the hospitality team, the car park team, the ministry team. There's so many teams using their skills to serve. But um, one of the, uh, in fact, the, the, uh, the uh, way, I suppose, of being generous that blesses me the most is when people are generous with their time. See, time's an interesting one because it's a commodity that we all get the same of. Did you know that? 
No one has any more or less time than anyone else. 24 hours in a day. No one has more than that. And so we all have this fixed commodity of time and we get to choose how we spend it. And if somebody gives you some of their time, that is time that, you're not going to, that they're not going to get back. So when somebody blesses me and honours me uh, with spending time with me, whether it be to teach me or to mentor me or to coach me in something, I feel so blessed by that because I know they're not going to get that time back. When you give finance, you can earn some more. And when you use your skills, they don't really run out, do they? If anything, they get better when you use them. But time, time is, 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 is limited. It's a limited resource. So I'd encourage you to be generous with your time. However, generosity is one thing. But I believe this verse speaks more, actually, of compassion. Because generosity, ooh, generosity can, can become about me. Yeah? How much can I give? Uh, have I met my quota that I've set myself in terms of what I'm giving? Am I being generous enough? And it can be about me. But compassion, and what I believe the early church speak of, isn't about me. It's about others. It's about seeking a need. It's about, it's about finding a need that somebody has and going to meet it. Now, ultimately, Jesus meets every need. Jesus meets, and Jesus meets the ultimate need that we all have as people. But as a church, we lead people to Jesus to meet their need, absolutely. But we also meet practical needs. We seek out needs. This is compassion for people. We don't do it just because to feel good about ourselves, or we do it to be, because we are genuinely compassionate to people. David showed compassion for people. Uh, there's a, there's a, a part of David's life where his friend um, Jonathan had died and, uh, and, and Jonathan's family had been robbed, in a sense, uh, that had their land seized and taken off them. And, uh, and there came a point where David saw this injustice that had happened and he felt he had to act. He had to meet this need. He saw the injustice and he needed to do something about it. So in uh, 2 Samuel 9, uh, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? David's aware of an injustice and he needs to do something about it. And that's part of bringing a kingdom culture in our lives and in Newark. Now, obviously, we don't often see a situation where we can give someone their land back, which is what happened. Uh, none of us can really do that. Uh, but we still see injustices around our town every day. So many of them, be they caused by people or circumstance. And as a church, we meet the need. <clears throat> Number <th> four. <clears throat> Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Now, the, uh, the words that jump off the page to me here is to enjoy the favour of all the people. To enjoy the favour of all the people. And this is a crucial principle for, uh, for, for, for bringing a kingdom culture in Newark. It's easy to meet here on a Sunday and we love doing that and we will always do that. Because it's great and it's, it's what we should be doing as a church. But are we blessing our town as well? Do we have favour with all the people? This point, point number four, is uh, I've, I've, I've called Dazzle. Uh, uh, those around you, okay? And I think, you know, I mean, I had, I had the ABC structure to deal with, so, you know, give me a, give me a break. <laughs> but to, uh, to dazzle our community, we're supposed to be light and life of this world, church, are we not? Yeah? yeah. yeah? yeah. Are we not? 
The light dazzles. Nah. The light dazzles. See what I did there? I, I, I strongly believe that the church should be intricately woven into this town to be a blessing to this town. It's no good if we're being a nuisance. It's no good if we're rubbing people up the wrong way. That's not what the church should be doing in that manner. How can we have favour with all the people? We need to be genuine. We need to be genuine and not contrived. I love what Paul uh, wrote to the, uh, to the church in Corinth in this, uh, in this vein. <clears throat> Paul says this, To the Jews I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. And to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. To all things, uh, sorry, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. We are to win favour, to have favour with the people that we share this town with. It's an important part of bringing about a kingdom culture. David had favour with his community. There's a, there's a story, most people will know it, where he, uh, he defeated the, uh, the giant Goliath. Yeah? You know that one with the slingshot? And, uh, and in this time, he, it was a true blessing to the community that he was in. See, Goliath had been terrorising this community for, uh, for a long time. And, uh, and everyone was too scared to go and fight this, this, this chap, giant Goliath. Um, and, uh, and David said, oh, no, I could do it. I'll do that, absolutely. So he took and he went with his slingshot and, uh, and he killed this chap, Goliath. And, uh, and in so doing, he became a blessing to the community. And the, and, uh, the Bible says that uh, the, the, the community danced around in the streets because they were so blessed by what David had done. Being a blessing to our community, to dazzle our community. In our time of preparation as we prepare, as I say, for what God has for us and for what God is calling us into, let's have favour with the people. Number four, this is the final point. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this because this is literally... Why are we are here? Jesus came uh, to this world 2,000 years ago, or thereabouts, on uh, really the single greatest rescue mission that has ever been. On the, on the mission trip to end all mission trips. That was why Jesus came. He then established his church to continue the mission that he had started. That is why we're here. That is why we meet. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's why he was killed on the cross for everyone's sins. And then he was resurrected again to defeat death once and for all. He gave his only son so uh, that none may perish. That's the heart cry of God, so that none may perish. And our mission as the church of Jesus Christ is to continue the mission that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. That is why we are here. Yeah? Yeah? Absolutely. Now, expansion starts with us. Did you know that? Expansion starts with us. To see more of our lives invaded by the kingdom of God. See, when, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're saved in an instant. Yeah? In that instant, we're able to enter into a relationship with God. In that instant, our uh, entrance into heaven is gained. But also, there starts a process. 
That starts a process, and uh, we call it discipleship, where we hand more and more of our lives over to God. Yeah? So this month, God's working on our pride, on my pride. Yeah? After he's done there, he's going to work on my anger. And after that, he's going to work on my addictions. And this is how God works, not all at once. He's not instant. It's a process. We expand the kingdom in our lives. We have more and more of, of, of our stuff over to God. Jeremiah 18.6 talks about us like clay in the hands of the potter, so you are in my hand. We are molded by God. He's molding us into the perfect image of his son. Now, we won't reach that image until we reach heaven. <clears throat> But it's a process to get there. It's not an instant win to be more and more like Jesus. And then we turn our attention to the church. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The expansion of the kingdom of God in Newark. <laughs> See, sometimes I believe that the church gets a lot of stick for our desire to, uh, to grow. Yeah? I've heard before people people say, oh, you're just making converts. You're just making converts. And, uh, and even people in the church, even people in the church, I've heard say, oh, it's just all about the numbers for you, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it's all about the numbers. Not, the, not just the number of people in this building. Don't hear me wrong. If people are in this building and they don't know Jesus, that's a waste of time, absolutely. But it's all about the number of people who we will see in heaven. The number of people who we can just show to Jesus. And that Jesus can come into a personal relationship with them. It's all about the numbers. God's concerned with the numbers. Did you know that? God's concerned with the numbers. John 3.16 says, So that none may perish. We just read in Acts that 3,000 people were added to the church in a day. Did you know 3,000 is a number? It is all about the numbers. And anyone who says, oh, it's not about the numbers, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. Is that okay? <clears throat> so, sorry, I get excited about this because I get excited about the expansion of the kingdom of God. I get excited about the number of people that we're going to see in heaven because of how God has used us to expand his kingdom. So I'm sorry, I apologise, church, if I get overexcited. <clears throat> but if we really believe this book, if we genuinely believe what this book says, then we should be so concerned with expanding the kingdom. So concerned. Now, it can sometimes feel like a battle, can't it? Battle. Expanding the kingdom. Both in our own lives as we hand more and more of our lives over to God and God's dealing with things in our lives, but also expanding the kingdom in Newark. As a church, it can feel like a battle and often an uphill battle. Am I right? Yeah, good. Not on my own then, at least. <clears throat> but here's the funny thing about battles. The battle, did you know this, belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord in, uh, in 1 Samuel 17 when David is fighting Goliath. He's just having a chat with him beforehand, friendly chat um, about this uh, ensuing battle. And David says to Goliath, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Acts 2, it says, the Lord added to their number. Only Jesus expands the kingdom. Did you know that? 
Only through Jesus are we saved by grace. Only through Jesus can we see the Father. Only through Jesus do we gain entrance to heaven. Only Jesus, Matthew 16, 18 says, uh, Jesus says, I will build my church. We can't add people to the church. Did you know that? Only Jesus can add people. We can bring people in. That's our job. That's our part. But we can't add people to the kingdom. Jesus builds his church. The battle is the Lord's. But here's the final thing. Because I can see it's getting warm. I can see that people are drifting. It's fine. It's a shame though, because this is the most exciting bit. Sorry. The battle belongs to the Lord. But we still have to fight it. Did you know that? We still have to fight it. When, uh, when David is in, he's um, <clears throat> facing Goliath, uh, and he says the battle belongs to the Lord. He knew that. He knew that. But he didn't go home. He didn't put his feet up. He didn't, you know, just leave it to God and say, oh, the battle belongs to the Lord. He'll just do that. I'm just going to go. He didn't do that. He still had to fight Goliath. He still had to fight the battle. And so... And so when we experience this battle in our personal lives as we're expanding the kingdom of God, when we experience this battle in our town as we're expanding the kingdom of God, the battle belongs to the Lord, but we still fight it. Is that okay? You say yes, but it's a big ask, church. It's not as easy as just, yeah, sounds great, sounds great, sounds totally cool, man. It's a bit harder than that. Did you know our church has a prophecy spoken over it? Did you know? A prophecy of, uh, of growth, a prophecy of doubling in size, in fact. That's been, that's, that's been a prophecy that's spoken over this location by God. And my belief is that that is not going to happen unless we partner with God, unless we fight the battle with God. The battle belongs to the Lord. God's going to grow the church. He is. But we have to do our part. That's what the church is. It's a partnership with God. I don't know why God chose to partner with people. It will be so much better, uh, easier, uh, it grow quicker if God just did it all himself. And sometimes I feel that. I'm like, God, why are you using us? Why are you using us? I'm making such a mess of it. Why can't you just do it? Because that's not what God wanted. God wanted a partnership with his church. The battle is his, but we fight it. So uh, in this preparation time, I believe, as I said at the start, we're always constantly in a preparation period, preparing for something, preparing for the next thing, preparing for the expansion of the kingdom of God in our lives, in our town, preparing for what what God is calling us into next. These five principles, five ABCs, DEs of kingdom culture, accept identity. Say accept identity. identity. Number two, uh, balance devotion. Number three, compassion for others. Number four, dazzle those around you. And number five, expand the kingdom. Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. I strongly feel like the word, the message that God has for us in this season is keep going. You're doing great. Just keep going. That's what I hear God telling me. You're doing great. We're in a season of preparation. You might feel like you've gone backwards. You're just in the sheep field. You're just preparing. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So as I said at the start, I believe we're all in a constant uh, preparation season. 
And, uh, and if, if, if you find yourself in this place today, and you know that, that there's something that is happening in your life, that God has said he's going to use you for something. I don't know what that is. <clears throat> but that God has a promise for you, a battle for you to fight. If that's you today, I want to pray with you. Is that okay? So if that is you, why don't you, uh, why don't you bow your heads and, uh, and close your eyes and we're just going to pray together. Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you chose to partner with us. We, cho- we thank you, Lord, that you chose to partner with your church to bring about a kingdom culture in this town. We thank you, Lord, that we are like clay in your hands and that you are molding us into a perfect image of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you constantly choose what is next for us. We thank you, Lord, that you call us into the next thing. And Lord, as, uh, as we're being called into the next thing, both in our individual, personal lives and our church as a, as a body of people as well, Lord, we ask for your strength in perseverance. We ask that you are with us. We know you are. We ask for you to be constantly refilling us with your Holy Spirit that we might go out and do our best to partner with you. Use us, God. Amen. Amen. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.